The days are getting shorter, and you can feel it in the air. Yes, it's that time of year. Pumpkin is finally back at Dunkin'. It's the cozy you've been craving all summer long, now in your cup at Dunkin'. Pick up all of your pumpkin favorites, like the signature pumpkin spice iced latte, or a pumpkin iced coffee, and bakery items like pumpkin donuts and muffins. Sip into something comfortable to celebrate the start of cozy season. Use the Dunkin' app for contactless ordering. America runs on Dunkin'. Welcome to the Firescape, everybody. Hey, y'all. Firescape, Firescape, Firescape. We are that two. That was a bit operatic. Sorry about that. That was uh, operatic. I, mean... I kind of liked it. <laughs> the Firescape is two guys from Alabama and a Welsh Londoner talking about transatlanticism, telling stories, and whinging about life in the big city. Although Howell is not in the big city right now. And this I'm in the week, Magic City. This week, the Magic City with books, beans, and candles, and all the wands. This week. <laughs> The fire escape is not just two guys from Alabama and a Welsh Londoner. This week, we are also joined uh, by a man who is uh, living close to the Delaware border in Maryland. And his name is Joe Pug. And he is a musician, uh, songwriter, singer-songwriter who's been around for a long time. Pete and I are big fans since all the way back since college. Um, Joe... Uh, initially went to uh, school for playwriting in at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, and but eventually uh, moved to Chicago, started writing songs, ended up going on tour with Steve Earle when he was 23 years old, mm. uh, which is pretty pretty rad, um, uh, at least according to Wikipedia, and I believe everything that Wikipedia says. So, Wikipedia dot org slash Joe or you know whatever, search Joe Pug <laughs> on in Google if you don't know who he is. Uh, you should know who he is. He also hosts an, a uh, podcast called the American Songwriter. Working no, songwriter. the Working Songwriter, American Songwriters Magazine. Yep. Dang it! I almost. I also <laughs> little clue into the episode. I was like plugging his podcast at the end, and I kind of paused for a long time. I was like. I just brought up his podcast, and I don't know what it, I don't know what it's named. Yeah, mm. the working songwriter. That's not good. Um, mm. Tell us a little bit about what we talk about, guys. Well, what all we talk? Well, I mean, I I do my little bit of gushing. Like I said, been a big fan of the dude for a long time. It was a little surreal for me to get what to interview nerd. him. Uh, yeah, so I got to nerd out just a little bit. Um, what we got into. His theories on playwriting, right, Hal? You, you and him got yeah, to we dig did, in yeah. on... We talked on... about the creative process, basically. That's I think, right. We? That's Give right. A distinct overview of the, the business of songwriting, of playwriting, and all things in between. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we're... I don't know. I've been really excited about this one for, for a couple of months now. We've been working on getting him on. Um, it's a big deal for me. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode uh, of us chatting with... The incredible singer-songwriter and incredible podcast host, Mr. And Joe probably incredible playwright. We yeah, maybe. Know. I just, I've never seen a play, so yeah, I don't so. know. Uh, yeah, we really enjoyed talking with him. He was uh, super, super, uh, gave some good answers. Very, uh, very hip to the game and uh, philosophical. So He was very, very, gave some good answers. <laughs> yeah, man. I Look, like it. man. I think that's the way I want to be kind described. Of, I was thinking, I'm thinking on my toes right now, all right? I, I appreciate that. This is at the end of a long conversation, and like the words have run out of my, my brain. Yeah, true. My brain is, is free of words. How how you feel me? I feel you, man. I have no more words. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be weird for our listeners, because they're going to be like, what do you mean, no more words? I'm only five minutes in. That's right. We have words. Yeah, this is time traveling. We've already yeah, recorded Yeah, but don't worry, guys. Interview. We've already recorded the interview, so what you're about to hear is you're about to go Fresh back words. to the beginning. Yeah. You're going to go we, back in time. 
you can go back to the future. You yeah. could say that we have, or we are, very good answers. Yeah, we are very good answers. That's right. Uh, yeah, they. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this basically is the plot of Back to the Future, but minus the whole like almost, uh, you know, cooking up with your mom aspect. Well, yeah, we don't know about Howell, but no, I mean, no, I'm no. just kidding. Man. <laughs> That was, that was just. Uncom- I'm going to take. I'm going to take. What the are we proverbial. saying, I'm man? Gonna, yeah, I'm going to take the proverbial <laughs> bull by the horns. Do it and be like, ladies and gentlemen, sit tight, and uh, we are just about to hear our interview with Mr. Joe Pug, songwriter, playwright extraordinaire. We have no more words to say, but there will be more words at the end of the interview. But we recorded them before here. Don't be don't be confused. But sit tight. Make yourself a hot drink. Press pause if you need to. Sit down. Listen to the interview with Joe Pug, and we hope you enjoy it very much. And we'll see you next time. Roll the music! Roll the music. Did you see uh, Randall Woodfin uh, skydived into uh, Railroad Park yesterday? I did not see that. (laughs) I didn't know about that. I should probably get on the Birmingham Twitters a little bit more um, fulsomely. Hello. Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. What's going on, man? How are you guys? Doing well. Doing, Doing well. well. How about yourself? I'm good. Good, good. Thanks Hi. for joining us. My pleasure. Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm good, That's, man. We'll uh, introduce. I'm Coulter. Um, I'm Pete. I've been emailing with you. Cool. Hey, dude. I'm Howell. Howell's the British one. <laughs> I caught on to that already. But <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. This is often how I get introduced. We I'm like to be guys. really informational when we start off. So <laughs> I've learned so how... much. Yeah, so so much. <laughs> good. Where good. are you finding in from, Joe? Where are you at? I'm in. Uh, I live in Maryland these days, right outside of DC. Wow, check it out. There you go. Yeah. Nice. Close to the bay. Is that near Delaware? I mean, help me out with my, with my terrible yeah, American Yeah, it is. Geography. That's actually – I'm really impressed that you knew that as a, as a Brit because um, Delaware is a pretty obscure state. And, I just uh, always think I always think of Delaware from that bit in Wayne's World when they finally get a break and they get a big TV studio and then they have a blue yeah. screen where they can go anywhere they want. You know, and they go to Hawaii and they go to Tokyo and then the last place they go is they go Del- they go to Delaware and this is a picture of a car park. <laughs> yeah, I, I like how the only reason that you know about the obscure state of Delaware is because of a bit about how obscure it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and they just so they kind of go, hey, we're in Delaware. Cool. We're in Delaware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Just that in like corporate tax shelters are pretty much all <laughs> Delaware's about. Oh yeah, the corporate. Yeah, I've yeah, that's about that's my interest in, in Delaware for sure. Is the corporate, the corporate tax shelter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I forgot this, about that. This podcast yeah. must be doing pretty good, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know we're 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 well we're aspiring for tax shelters. No, no, no. no. <laughs> we're we we're not doing good. Wink, wink. That's, that's right. Why all the it's under a different name in Delaware. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we just wanted to start off by saying thank you so much for joining us in. Peter and I have uh, have been listening to you for a long time. We've been fans since we were in college back in back in '09 when uh, when Nation of Heat dropped. And right on. Um, <clears throat> so, really, uh, really pleasure to have you on today. And uh, thank you for taking the time. Uh, we uh, actually <laughs> uh, wanted to bring up one thing. I did. 
uh, I think you were touring with Dave Ramirez and came mm-hmm. through Birmingham and you know other places. But I saw you in Birmingham at Bottle Tree Cafe a couple years ago. And Which I walked is just gone you. now. Which yeah. is gone. Yeah, yeah. it's gone. Yeah, yeah, Bottle, Tree. Bottle Tree is no more. Yeah. Um, Howell's in Birmingham right now, and we're in New York. Uh, so there's there's all sorts of Skype uh, action going on. But trans-American Skype talking. <laughs> I have no idea if you'll remember this, but I walked up to you and gave you a copy of mine and Pete's record that I had autographed. <laughs> <laughs> and you said, we're big fans. You're an influence of us. Thought you might want this. And you were just like, hey, thanks. Thank you, I, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, right there on. you go. I love the fact that you signed it in advance just in case you didn't ask. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want him to be embarrassed, and so I just decided I would lead with that. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't remember that specific interaction, but I do remember uh, that show at the Bottle Tread. I loved uh, the Bottle Tree, and I was very sad to hear that it had uh, bit the dust. Yeah, that was yeah. a that was a bummer for all the Birmingham folks. You know, that was like when we were kids. You know, in high school, that was the spot where, like, you know, at that Birmingham's changing currently a, a whole lot. But at that time, yeah, you know, we would go see. I mean, I remember seeing Josh Ritter there and of Montreal there, and like all of oh, these. Wow. Yeah, I mean, these acts that like, you know, kid from Birmingham. Uh, you know, it was it was kind of like this weird oasis of like, oh yeah, I I don't have to just listen to you know. I don't know who Eric Church or somebody. You know, we can go and see these like really hip acts that were doing really cool stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. so when that place was gone, it was it was a pretty big bummer. But now you know other folks have taken up the reins and Birmingham. yeah, you still got the work play theater. It seems like mm-hmm. really good music always comes through the work play. Yeah, there's, yeah. A called, there's a place called Saturn as well, which is in Avondale, which I saw again the other day. There was some guys, yes. Fugazi, Fugazi. How do you say that name? Do you remember that Fugazi. band? Oh yeah, Fugazi. Oh, it's a Fugazi. Uh, yeah, some of the Fugazi guys came through with their new band that were playing on Sunday night. Well, again, I didn't know about it, so I missed the show, but I found out the next day. Um, yeah, and Andrew WK is playing there, so, you know, a few people play out the sun. Did you did you guys know that that's, like, the worst thing a musician can ever hear? Like, I love your band, and I just found out that you had a show last night. It's <laughs> yeah. like the worst. It's like the worst thing oh, you yeah. can hear. It's like, oh, you didn't do that. We didn't, uh, didn't, like, canvas the area quite enough on that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like you spend all this time making the record, promoting it, promoting the show, gassing up the van, bringing the band in, getting hotel rooms, and then uh, <laughs> the next day, well, inevitably it'll be like in a coffee shop the next morning before you leave the town, like the barista will be like, oh man, Joe, I'm a big fan of yours, uh, what are you doing in town? Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> it's even worse than that, because I, um, I found out the next day. And uh, this, in fact, I was sat in Saturn having a coffee, and uh, yeah. yesterday, and um, and, it, and, it, and exactly, it was exactly that interaction. It was exactly the barista who mentioned it to me. Yeah. And, um, and then I, I uh, and I was like, they were like, they used to be in Fugazi, and I was like, oh, Fugazi, fuck no, no way, man. And then, yeah. then he said to me, he went, he went, yeah, and it ended up being a free show. And I was like, why did it end up being a free show? And it was, of course, because not enough people knew about it, so they were like. You could wow. have just gone in. You're really putting Fugazi on blast right now, but man. it wasn't. See, Fugazi it was there, like, you know, it was a couple of guys from Fugazi, yeah, yeah. and their in their, their new band, which I think is called Mesthetics. I mean, what weird band? Name. Okay, weird band name cool. of the week. So you, you didn't know that about us, Joe. That's really uh, secretly what we do here is we just get musicians on and we just put Talk them on blast. Fugazi. That's it. You just put people on. Blast. <laughs> 
Yeah, Fair enough. Um, so we're, we're actually all musicians as well, Joe. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so when, when you were talking, or I guess when we were emailing over the course of the last couple months, um, you'd mentioned that you've been working on a new record, which I'm very, very stoked about. Um, what's up? Tell us about it. What was going on? Where'd you record? What are you, what are you working on? Um, I'd love to hear about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I wish I had a better way to sell it than just, you know, Joe Pug's fourth record, which is pretty boring, uh, you know, kind of sales pitch there. But it's basically what it is. I mean, my last record came out about three or four years ago, and um, I've been writing consistently ever since, writing a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch. And uh, I finally felt like I have close to the amount of songs that I need. So um, I just went to Nashville uh, the guy that's producing it, his name is Kenneth. He plays in that band, the Milk Carton Kids. Oh yeah, and he's sure. he's a really good songwriter. So uh, we sat down and we just kind of basically stress tested all the songs that we thought we might use and really um, tried to find the weak points in them and uh, eliminate those. And um, uh, it was a great three days of work, but we did zero recording. It was all about just editing the songs and getting them to. Uh, a place where they're the most um, impactful and concise as they can be. Yeah. Is that when you're saying editing, are you meaning more of like on paper, uh, like lyric stuff, or, or are we talking about like structure? Um, structure, melodic structure, the actual structure of the song. Uh, a lot of like, um, man, like I'm going to have more songs on this record that clock in at about. 230, 245 than I ever had before. And that's, yeah, that's like, peak, that's that, like peak song, isn't it? That's like ideal pop song length, isn't see, it? 230. I think so it's too, like, man. It's, yeah. like the holy, it's the holy grail, the two minutes 30. <laughs> you go and look at some of that Beatles stuff, like go look at a Beatles record and like, you'll see songs clocking in at like 145 and you're like, oh, no yeah. way. Like that, like how long is Norwegian wood? You know what I mean? Like oh, two yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, some of, some of my favorite music uh, is are these like really teeny tiny short songs, and and it's kind of like a weird, like cruel thing. Maybe it's like uh, I don't know. Like it makes me a sadist or something. Because like they they really <laughs> they well I, I love really really short songs. But more times than not, I, I end up replaying the song. I'm a big like repeat. I, I repeat songs a lot. I listen to the same so, song so, over and so over. So what you're saying is you love a short song, but you like to play it ten times. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, because I, you know, I think that's not an uncommon, you know, reaction for a person to have. Elvis would go to towns and uh, he'd play his three hit songs, and then he'd get an encore and he'd just play those three songs again. Yes, and <laughs> that's, that's I, what people want. I think it's a pretty human desire. Yeah, you just got to you got to give the people what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so. and that's how uh, I mean the apocryphal story of how Top Forty Radio was created was uh, a station programmer was trying to date a waitress, and so he'd wait around for her in the diner at the end of the night, and he started watching all the waitresses, um, the music they they would listen to on the jukebox, mm-hmm. and up until then, radio programmers had always assumed that what people wanted was variety. So you'd be punished if you repeated the same song in a day. Sure. What this guy noticed from women, uh, these waitresses choosing songs from the jukeboxes, is that he played the same damn 10 songs every day. Oh, yeah. And so he started to program a station <laughs> like that, and it worked so well that, I mean, you know, terrestrial radio still works like that to this day. 
Yeah, and it's like the live version of that. Is that I think I told uh, the guys this before, but my my mum, my who uh, was born and brought up in Wales, moved to Liverpool when she was 13. And then so she was there. She was a teenager when the Beatles were playing in the cavern and across all the... Um, and across all the the old like uh, theatres and music halls across the uh, the northern coast of Wales and the northwest of England, mm-hmm. and she used to go on the weekend. You know, she'd get on the train from Liverpool across to all the coastal towns in North Wales, places like Real and Flandern, where they had these big old sort of musical theatres, which in the evening would have sort of variety shows. But on the weekends, they'd have rock and roll shows for the kids, right? Because that was music for kids at the time. That's what people thought about it. And um, but she said they'd go and see like three shows, and they'd, they'd see the Beatles play three times in the afternoon. You know, they'd yeah. see them play. They'd, they'd see them play the late morning show, <laughs> then they'd do one at two, then they'd do one at four or five or whatever. You know, before they really go back to Liverpool, they go back to Liverpool and then play the evening shows at the Cavern. But she'd go and she get, and then sometimes she'd go back and watch them there. I think, but she'd see them um, in these afternoon shows, and they'd just play the same. You know, they'd play like militaristically play the same set. You know, they would yeah. just like bang out the same tunes five times a day. You know, that's really that's cool. And you know, the Beatles at that time they were kind of doing. They had some of that variety show stuff like in their show as oh, yeah. well. Like they do like comedy bits in their in their show and stuff like oh, yeah. that. Yeah, but I think that's because that's what they were brought up on, you know. Like that's what's familiar from yeah. what my mum would talk about. That that was very much the flavour in Liverpool at the days that, you know, kids in youth clubs and things like the scouts and whatever, they'd have you know, it's hard for us to imagine, I think, nowadays with the sort of the amount of content that we have everywhere, you know. Yeah. Like smashing us in our ears and eyes and faces from every corner or quarter but you didn't have that so you know that's how things were sort of rallied and i think that was the culture you know you go to these sort of afternoon variety shows as as much as you would to go and see the beatles play it i think almost they were considered to be almost like they were considered to be part of the same thing in a funny sort of way does that make sense you know because well, they like, probably are you yeah know? i think we yeah. bifurcated it at this point yeah um, exactly. everyone's become so specialized but it i mean it seems to go together well have you ever heard the? Um, have you guys ever heard Beatles Live at the BBC, which was a oh, yeah. compilation oh, yeah, before yeah. the anthology? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's worth a listen because you hear some of that in some of their interviews. Like the sort of band chat is very much. It feels a bit like a four guys stand up comedy troupe at some time. Oh you yeah, know? like an improv well, troupe. Yeah, almost like an improv troupe. Because John Lennon was really into like nonsense comedy and nonsense poetry, and he released a couple of books, in fact, and. There was a British comedy duo at the time called The Goons, who were four comedians mm. and uh, very specific, like Monty Python-esque British humour before Monty Python. But they were really into it. And it, once you know that and you listen to some of those interactions, it makes a lot of sense because they kind of riff, you know, they're sort of talking gibberish and with this very stiff BBC announcer, you know, trying to make sense of it all. Kind of like a Beyond the Fringe type of vibe? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like Beyond the yeah. Fringe sort of vibe, but a little bit even more chaotic, I think, less clever. Yeah. Right. You know, so, you know so- I think people... Speaking of people like, I mean, these massive, you know, uh, people like the Beatles who've kind of moved culturally beyond, like, these human beings. I, I'm curious, Joe, like, okay, so to be to be honest, we, you know, we've been fans of yours for a long time. And uh, and having having you on our show is is a little is a little surreal uh, for for me, at least. Um, you know, I've been to a bunch of your shows and seen you do your thing and listen to your records and is I'm always curious. This is like one of my favorite things to hear from people who are, you know, uh, heroes of mine, whether songwriters or actors or, or whoever. You know, these people that are kind of, um, you know, that that aren't a part of your real world, right? Um, in all of in all of your touring and and being a musician and and kind of coming up the ladder, 
who who is it in your world that you've met or or have you met somebody in your world that was like that freaked you out that you were like man i'm i'm sitting here i got you know with whoever um was there was there somebody in in your i don't know throughout throughout your career so far that just kind of freaked you out being around them yeah i mean there's there's a lot of that um I mean, they're not like famous, famous people like sure. uh, like movie star famous. But, you know, in my world, like as far as I'm concerned, like when I got to go and open some shows for LaVon Helm, I mean, that oh, is a movie yeah. star to me, basically. Sure. Yeah, you know, that, that was like a he was like a like a living like lion or yeah. something to me, man. Like it was just unbelievable. Yeah, it's like um, history is standing in front of you almost, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's not only that that history is standing in front of you. It's also that somehow your life path has placed you in real time into that history for just a moment. Not that you have a big part of it, but you just kind of get to dip the small part of your pinky finger into that stream for just a second. And, um, you just feel really grateful. And, um, uh, it, it has brought, it can bring a lot of meaning to your life and not just cause you met somebody that's famous, but if it's someone that you respect, it brings a lot of meaning to your life because you've got to have just a very small, um, uh, piece of that, a moment of that, you know? Yeah. Cause fame isn't yeah, really sure. a quantity, is it? Cause I, I mean, I've met some famous people. I couldn't care less about their work and I couldn't care less about meeting them. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I remember being yes. a bit like, Oh my God, here we are. This person is, on the television sometimes, you know, but I had not that I was negative about it, you know, but it just didn't have any impact. I was like, well, you know, totally, you know, whatever. I'm trying to think of like, if I were to meet, and this wouldn't be like a knock on whoever this person would be. I'm trying to think of like, uh, Ryan, an actor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like Ryan Seacrest, like at all. Like I, I, I think he probably does a pretty good job in what his role is, but I mean, it just wouldn't, yeah, there'd be no butterflies in my stomach. Whereas, you know, if I met, um, uh, if I sat down and met, um, you know, Robert Plant, I'd probably feel a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd feel weird if I was sitting down with Robert Plant. Definitely, Same. <laughs> I'd probably yeah. be just, I'd probably just be so overwhelmed by the power of his hair, you know, more than anything else. Yeah, just most assuredly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so guys, who's Ryan Seacrest? Oh, uh, Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> so hey, Ryan, is... if you're out there listening, bub, we're not we're not hating. You know, it's this just... is no, no, seriously, it's a genuine question. Who's Ryan Seacrest? This is the most. Uh, so Joe, to like let you in on some inside baseball on this show, this happens like every other episode of where like we mention something and Howell's like, who is this person? Ryan Seacrest is like a famous uh, radio host slash television host for he did, you know like, in he's Hollywood. Like, uh, he, he's like the host of American Idol. There you go. That's the one. Oh uh, right. Uh, he he's was got a great he's, he's, top 40 he's the Dick Clark of his generation. Yeah, basically. Dick, I think he even took Dick over Dick Clark. Clark. Oh, man. Yeah, he and does it, well, the the Rockin' New Year's Eve, I think, or he used yeah. to, or whatever. The yeah. big ball drop. Yeah, yeah, like a sort of Ed Sullivan type figure. Mm. Uh, no, not, that may be a little heavier. Yeah, that he wouldn't be. I, I, I wouldn't say uh, like able to host like it's not not the cultural impact of ed sullivan yeah. more, I, I, more of a dick clark at first yeah. I, th- I was like man dick clark might be a little heavy for ryan seacrest but i do think that's probably a pretty yeah. apt pretty close yeah, yeah. well ryan seacrest yeah. 
got a great name, whoever he is, Seacrest. It sounds kind of almost <laughs> mythic, doesn't it? Like yeah. the crest of the sea. You're just saying that because it sounds British, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Just the Seacrest part, too, not the Rhine. You know, <laughs> not the Rhine part. It's like a weird combination. Yeah. yeah, weird combination of the epic and the banal in one name. Maybe that's what yeah. it is. Maybe for the television. Who knows? Uh, Ryan, I salute you, whoever you are. <laughs> So uh, doubling back on the, you had mentioned something about like how we've kind of bifurcated, um, you know, a lot of arts, especially like uh, performative arts, uh, like theater and stuff like that. I, I noticed from uh, the uh, super useful website, wikipedia.org, uh, that you uh, went to school for playwriting initially. Uh, did you? Yeah. So uh, is, how did, like, has that informed your writing style or like what, what was kind of the dream? Like where you, was that kind of like what you were aiming for from the beginning and then fell into writing music or, um, or was you, were you always kind of wanting to do both or did you kind of get burnt out on playwriting? What's, what, what was the story there? Well, I'd grown up doing both things. Uh, my father was a musician until he had me. Um, and then, uh, my grandfather was the head of the theater department at the University of Maryland. And um, so I grew up doing both things, playing music in bands. And then I would do, uh, you know, community theater and school theater. And my grandfather would basically uh, coach me in like my lines and and my mm. blocking and stuff like that. And so um, and then I had a really impactful um, high school teacher, like one of these high school teachers like a teacher that you get like once in your life that like really a Mr. Feeney. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pretty much, man. Like he really changed my life. And, uh, I think I ended up going to college for theater because this professor or this teacher had such a profound effect on me. Um, and I mean, I could have gone into theater. I, I really do enjoy that. I just think it's much harder to find sustainable work doing that. Whereas with music, I I could just pick up a guitar, record stuff very easily, and then take the show all over the country very cheaply and uh, and connect with people. And it just seemed like a more self-sufficient um, enterprise to take on. I've just I wanted to have a conversation. I would completely agree with that. Well, I, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I do the theatre thing myself. Yeah, no, I couldn't, I, couldn't yeah. Agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's a shame, isn't it? It's weird because I think there used to be a time when to take a play on the road was something that was pretty could be could be affordable and there was a lot more access yeah. to that and there was a lot more theaters where people were attending but i think uh, it's not that the form itself is falling to the wayside i don't think it is because i think there'll always be a necessity for it but it's just the means to do it has become a lot has become a it's become quite tricky unless you're willing to be like do something out the back of a van but not many people are going to watch it you know sadly i don't think no. so um you're left in a weird position i think with theater you know i'm, I'm a playwright as well you know so uh and like, gotcha. you know, fortunately, some people ask me to do it sometimes, but um, but I think it's still a rare occasion when it, you like now, like the forces that are in play when a play gets put on, you realise it's a big thing. There's huge amounts of money often it costs to do that. Yeah. So you, so you then feel privileged and lucky for one that it's even happening. So that's nice. But also you just feel like, wow, man, this is like a rare thing. You can't plan your life around it. Do you know what I mean? You can't yeah. hope that it's going to be a regular thing that often. It's a rare person in playwriting that can have that sort of regularity in their work yeah it didn't seem like there is much room to be um like an arthur miller like i'm gonna have five like genre defining plays over the course of my career that just doesn't seem like an a thing that's um 
a job description anymore. Yeah, I don't. I agree with you. I think I can think of a couple of people who get um, who have who I know who have had regular work on, but it's it's a rare quality. And also, I think the other thing, and I don't know if you maybe you can tell me if you think this happens in songwriting as much, but. I think increasingly now in theatre, what tends to happen with theatre writing is that there's a lot of people who have to have their say about your work before it happens. Yeah. So you end up being in this weird spot where you're having to sort of deal with a lot of, you know, voices, <laughs> kind of telling you how your voice should be. Yeah, that's and not it, good. And it can, be, it can be exhausting, you know, and I think the end result can often be something which is a bit of a weird melange, you know. Yeah, that's... That's not a good thing. I think it's all right to have other voices involved if they really understand what your voice is and they're just trying to help you see the forest through the trees. But mm. often that's not what people – often if you set up a situation where people are going to have their say creatively, mm. they want to justify their presence in that room by saying something. You know what I mean? Yeah, like. Yeah. You know that someone knows what's going on creatively if you take something to them and one times out of two times they just say, I don't know. I have nothing to say to you on that. You know, yeah, like yeah. That's, that's a real response from somebody you know, who knows what they're doing. Um, yeah, yeah that, That's got to be tough, man. That's got to be really tough. I agree. I but mean, it's definitely because I think you kind of encounter this thing, I think, where basically it's, you just encounter a process that – you, sometimes you get this impression, it definitely happens in television as well, where you're like, if you don't say something, you'd lose your job, which is why you're saying something. <laughs> you that's know? it. You wouldn't yeah, have a exactly job if you weren't just saying a load of stuff to me. Yes. And yeah. I, I have a friend who's a writer and he writes for TV and he has this, just a little side anecdote about this. This is genuinely a true story that he'll write four drafts of something, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Then he'll send in the first draft. And then he'll get notes from, you know, he writes for a serial TV drama, like a regular mm -hmm. TV drama in the UK sometimes. And he'll get notes from four or five people, you know, on that first mm -hmm. draft. And then he'll just send, then a week later, he'll just send in the second draft that he'd already written. Yeah. You know? And they'll all go, thanks so much. Wow, you've taken on some of our notes. And some of them will be like, you didn't meant to do this thing. And he'll go, oh, yeah, okay. And then a week after that, he'll send in the third draft that he's already written. And then they'll be like, oh, great, thanks so much, you know. <laughs> what about this and this and this? And then he'll send in the fourth one that he'd already written. And he was like, more often than not, they're just then really happy. And it's actually what's happened, he hasn't taken on any of their notes. It's but, they just, but, but they just wanted to feel like they'd been heard. Do you know what I mean? Which is an understandable feeling, but, I mean, you should be an adult and get over that. Um, well, totally. Yeah. But that's the thing. They wouldn't have a job if they didn't do what they were doing. You know, that's the thing. Very I weird. Mean, so I had a technical director when I was in um, college and I was on a crew and right before the dress rehearsal, he said, Joe, you know, take the uh, 20 foot ladder, go to the middle of the proscenium and put about a two foot piece of black gaff tape up there. I said, OK. And I did it. And then I didn't know why. And then uh, at the end of the show, um, we're getting notes from the director and he turns to the technical crew and he goes, first of all, there's a big fucking piece of gaff tape in the middle of the proscenium. Get rid of it. <laughs> we were like, okay, okay, okay. And because of that, like, 
he felt like he had said something to us and he didn't like nitpick us on on other stuff yeah uh, yeah he, he needed yeah he needed the, something was that to... the green arm was that what you said how the uh that thing where you know you just throw something in there that needs to be removed or maybe i heard yes. that somewhere yeah. else yeah, oh no that wasn't arm. me yeah yeah totally yeah, yeah. just think... so everyone feels like they're, they're, everyone feels like they're part of the process the purest example actually i can think of this is not the one my story by just friend that's a pretty good example and actually yeah. to be fair to him he said that often you know it's not that all notes are useless of course that's not the point of the story like he said you know during that process he will get some notes back which he will then add in to that final draft which are useful but he was like the point is is that he didn't he wouldn't have needed to have done four whole redrafts mm-hmm. you know in fact he only just needs to hear like three notes you know and those notes were yes. useful but there doesn't need to be this like month-long ridiculous process but i think the, the purest example for me is like when i was an actor you do voiceover work and that is the most absurd version of that where often you go into a studio for oh, an yeah. hour and there'll be the engineer who's normally just very chilled and just couldn't care less you know and then um and it's just like me- measuring the levels but then there'll, there'll, there'll be the copywriter, there'll be the account director from the um, from the uh, creative agency. You know, they, they, they can be up to like four or five, maybe more people. So different people on the line. The client will be there from whatever product it is, you know, 70s yeah. cod liver oil or coke or whatever. You know, and they all want to say something because they've all spent yeah. a huge amount of money on this advert, right? But hundreds of thousands of dollars. Maybe. Yeah. And you're just this guy saying 10, 10 seconds of gibberish, most likely. Right. You know, of like bad copy more than more often than not, and you realise very swiftly that all you can do is say yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. you do yeah. it, and then they go, "Well, oh, can you do it with a smile? Can you do it loudly? Say it as if you know." Imagine Homer Simpson was chasing you, and someone stuck a Mars bar in your face. You know, or whatever. They yeah. just will say all this like ridiculous nonsense, and you just realise after a while that you just have to go, "Yes, yes, yes," and then just do it. And then yeah. more often than not, at the end, they go, "I really like the first couple of things you did." <laughs> well that was crazy bullshit yeah i mean joe when you're like so in in you know you just got done working on a record do you like because i i mean i i have this in in my own creative thing and coulter and i'm sure hal does as well um i'm curious if you have anyone like like a like a, a person in your life that you regularly turn to as like a trusted person to ask like because like you said, you get a lot of feedback from a lot of people, and it's it's mm. sometimes hard to trust. You know, if if they don't, it's it's a hard thing to explain without uh, sounding kind of like pretentious artisty. But like, if they don't understand your voice and what you're what you're yeah. aiming for, then it can be hard to trust the advice. You want someone who's freely able to criticize you, but also you respect their opinion. Like, yeah, that they get what yeah. you're trying to do. Do you have like you know? Because you're, you know, you're doing this professionally. You're, 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 I'm assuming you're constantly writing and constantly working and and tinkering with these songs. Do you have like a a person that you're like, this is my person. They hold me down, and I trust their opinion. Or is it just your community of songwriters? Or how does that, how does your feedback and and critique work? Yeah, I mean, I got, I have five or ten people, you know, uh, that include friends, that include. Uh, my longtime manager that I've been with for 10 years that includes my dad, who was a songwriter for uh, many years, who I'll play stuff for. I find, though, I've learned at this point, though, um, the best way to gauge their thoughts on a song is simply to be in the same room with them and play the song for them yeah. and in real time feel their reaction to it and kind of what they say afterwards doesn't matter too much to me. Sure, yeah. It's it's either kind of working or it isn't. And you can feel that immediately in the moment, mm-hmm. whether it engrosses somebody or not. I it's mean, it's very awesome. simple. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Just kind of feel them. 
you know and so you're saying like yeah. that's that's your main way of, of getting valuable critique for your for your mind and, and editing your tunes yeah, yeah. I, I just I like to um, I like to kind of sneak it up on people um, and just uh, add a kind of nowhere play a demo and just kind of like just kind of feel their body language kind of feel their interest level um, yeah. from just a first time through listening because I think that's really really important for a song Sure, yeah. And did you feel like, you know, my equivalent, I can think of the equivalent of playwriting to when you have a first read of a script, you know? Yeah. All, all, of, all of a sudden, things that you feel like on the page work a treat, you know, can feel flabby or odd or suddenly you don't quite land. And sometimes it's yeah. the actor's way of reading it and you're like, can you do it a bit quicker or whatnot? And, you know, then, then a sudden sure. it's fine. But is it an equivalent thing in songwriting where you just go, you play it out loud and beforehand you've played it out loud and it felt great and suddenly when you're playing it to someone else and trying to communicate it, you're like, ah, oh, dang, that second verse suddenly feels yeah. like really you know awful. Yeah, you, you even know it when you see a line. Let's say you have a line in a script coming up in a read through. You mm. can see a line coming up. And just with people in the room, you already know that the line's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. You can just feel it there yeah. with the people in the room. And you're like, man, you're like, oh, man, I used to love that line. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Is it the same for the song? Do you think it's because do you think there's a similar process going on there, Joe, in as, in as much as that? you know, that the line in the play or, you know, the scene or the text, whatever it is, you know, actually it's, it's not just something to be read, you know, it's an active document, right? It's something that needs to be done. Yeah. It's a, it's a doing thing. It's a transitive thing at play. You know, it, it doesn't live until people are saying out loud in, in the dark in a room, you know, doing some shouting in front of other people. But do you think it's the same with a song that like a song doesn't exist until you're in the place where you're actually playing it to someone else, where there's something active towards someone? I think that's exactly right. And I think, a lot of times people will say that songwriters are poets or it's like written poetry or, or, or sung poetry. And I, I just think that it couldn't be further from the truth. I don't think a yeah. song is a poem at all. A poem, mm. the medium exists on a page and a poem or a song rather is just exactly what you're talking about. It has this fourth dimension, which is, uh, you know, it being played in real time and experienced by other people. Yeah, yeah, I, I I totally agree. We, my to to the to this day, my favorite tune that we had written, um, that was on our record is this like is this song called Oh Susanna. It's a seven minute long song about abolition. It's it's insane, but I I love the tune, and we we, it was it was the favorite song on the record. The recording was the best. Everything we everything about it we liked the most until we played it live and realized this doesn't work. No one cares. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No one cares at all, you know. Uh, and it, it, it was like a really formative moment for like, I don't know if that that realization was necessary to play it in front of people to realize this just this shit doesn't work, you know. No one cares, um, <laughs> and, and, it, and that's an okay thing, you know. Like, it's it's valuable stuff. And our um, least favorite songs were the ones everybody loved. I'm like, this yeah. is I don't, okay, do all you, right. Do you Weird. find that with any of your? Have you had any of that stuff go on in your life, Joe? Like with your music, where you're like, man, I love this this tune for whatever reason, and then you you come to realize that like that it's just that not just it's not me. translating. Yeah. yeah, it's just for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean that happens like most of the time by far. Yeah, with stuff like people don't really care about too much it's very hard to interest people it's very yeah. hard to capture their attention and so like i've written like a lot of songs and i'd say about like three of them really capture people's attention and then another 10 kind of do I, um and i've written a lot of songs and so yeah, yeah i mean 
it's just a constant process of writing something that I believe to be interesting and compelling and being met with, you know, yawns, basically. Yeah. Do you so, ever have that thing, though? Does everyone, anyone ever come up to you at a show? I mean, not, not just people who come up to you with their own record already pre-signed, but people who just come up to you and be like, hey, Joe, man, I know that, I know that track, track eight on your third album. I know you never play it, and I know no one ever talks about it, but I really love it. Does anyone say that? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, but, I mean, you'd be surprised. More often than not, like, I'd say 95% of people that buy a ticket to one of my concerts, they want to hear the same eight songs. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and, like... Yeah. It's so, yeah, I mean, you do have outliers, of course, but, um, you know, it's, um, that also might be the type of listener that I attract. Um, but yeah, my experience has been, you know, there's a real distribution towards the top as far as uh, what people want to hear. Yeah. But do you, do you have B-sides anymore? Cause you know, I always used to feel that when I was buying actual CDs and before that vinyl that I used to be really weirdly, I'd be like often more into B-sides than I would do sort of tracks that I felt were maybe a bit more filler on an album. You know, I'd, I'd always feel like they were sort of a bit like secret treasure, but I feel like the culture of the B-side is kind of slightly because of streaming or whatnot, you know, has slightly been shoved to the side and that sense of treasuring those sort of, those, those sort of off cuts type tracks doesn't exist as much anymore. Do you think that's true? Well, I think it's even um, a little bit more frightening than that. I think people listen now um, principally to streaming services where they're not listening to an album, they're listening to a playlist with a melange of a lot of different artists yeah, and songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like when you ask, if you ask people under 25 like what type of listen music they listen to they'll say like uh sound smooth <laughs> smooth yeah. chill yeah. <laughs> or that my worst my least favorite answer everything that's the one that drives you know me insane. well but that's been happening since we were kids you, you always yeah, have that true. asshole around true but uh <laughs> you know it, it's just a much different way so i mean yeah i, I think that b-sides aren't that much of a thing and that even your a-side your front side your the song that they're listening to they might not even associate with you mm-hmm. yeah true you know yeah, or like it's not in, it's not in context in, in in an album like between other between the songs that it's supposed to be in between yeah, and stuff. Like exactly. That. Yeah, it's just a track that might pop Which up is, anywhere now. Yeah. I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I think in some ways it's like people are listening to more music than they ever have before. So this is kind of a great thing, but it is a paradigm shift that um, it's good to be aware of at least. It's because it's been tagged as something horrific, like yeah. acoustic chill or something like that, and, it, and, <laughs> yeah. it's found, and it's found itself found its way onto a Spotify playlist yeah. under that name as a result of some algorithm which has measured its sort of tempo and mood or something. Yeah, yeah. I think you know. So I'm a big defender of Spotify, and I think um, I don't think it's just algorithms making these playlists, man. I, I mean, I think that they do um, have humans curating these oh no yeah i know they definitely do i mean that was part of a friend of mine works at spotify and he tells me they have teams of people doing this stuff great job imagine doing that what what job right yeah and it's cool because as far as i know you can't um you can't buy your way onto it yeah you know what i mean and so that's pretty what's kind of scary in some ways but kind of cool in other ways because it means that everyone kind of has yeah uh, everyone kind of has a shot you know yeah it's almost like a merging of like yeah the critical side of like uh, you know putting like Rolling Stone in in charge of like the top forty the radio, radio station. station yes yeah it's like <laughs> that's yes. kind of yeah. so it's like uh, it's a good you know, just kind of like gets at that um, you know and it's a yeah and it's a modern version 
Yeah, it's a, and it's a modern feature of a long-held tradition, you know, like the idea of the mixtape, you know, that yeah. obviously you'd make a mixtape for your girlfriend or, or whatever, you know, back in the day, but mm. those would be ones that get passed around. But then, of course, you know, I think probably maybe in hip-hop, more than any other genre, the idea of the mixtape, you know, becoming something that would then spread and get someone to mm. be to be known. But, you know, I guess that's probably the, it's the closest we get to a modern equivalent of that, is someone who's organizing these compilations. And then as a result of that, some people suddenly getting millions of listens. Or like a know. soundtrack. Yeah. You know, like a, yeah. especially like the assembled soundtracks. They were like more popular like in like, you know, 90s Cameron Crowe movies or something like that, where like yeah. he's yeah. picking yeah. stuff from, you know, different from like a genre or different eras to like. Yeah, well, Tarantino, thing. right? Tarantino famously doing that, picking up. Yeah. Things, yeah. Making them. Have you ever had Joe? Have you had that? Have you had suddenly, in terms of so the equivalent of someone going, oh, "I love that," "I love track nine, or have you had that with Spotify, where suddenly like a song of yours that had just been sort of ticking along in the background, you know, like doing it's there. Some people have listened to it, you know, you play it in the shows, but then all of a sudden, within a week, it's kind of gone out of five hundred thousand people. More people have listened to it suddenly, and that's because it's been dropped in one of their playlists. Have you experienced that yet? No, but I haven't um, released an album in three years and when we release this next one i i suppose it's going to be a whole different ball game mm-hmm. um yeah right yeah. now my spotify is just people who already know the music going back to listen to songs that they like mm-hmm. so we'll see i'll be very interested to see how that works out this time Dude, you've got you've got some healthy numbers i always just imagine it must be it must be weird to look at like wow that song of mine has been listened to three million times yeah it's pretty fucking cool that's pretty yeah. fucking yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. it's pretty, and, I'm, and I'm not like, going to pardon my French. That is fucking cool. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I look at all this stuff like, I, I'm really, I'm incredibly grateful that I came around at a time where this is possible, man. Like, dude, I wrote this song in a basement in Chicago, ten yeah. years ago, and, you know, now, I, like, people across the world listen to it all the time on this platform that didn't exist when I wrote the song. Yeah. Like, it's mm-hmm. fucking crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. too much, it's almost too much to take in, isn't it? You're just yeah. Like, Hang on a second. Like, well, I don't understand. You can't conjure. It's like a miracle. People, you know? It's yeah. like yeah. an absolute <laughs> fucking miracle, I mean, man. Dig this. Like my, my first show that I ever played, Joe, in college, I, I was a drummer. And I decided mm-hmm. I wanted. I was done relying on, you know, flaky musicians. And I was going to learn to play guitar. My very first mm-hmm. show... Uh, I you know I wrote some songs. I was playing at the back of this hookah bar in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and mm-hmm. the only cover I did in the closer was "Your Tune, Nation of Heat." Uh, All right, you know what I mean? Like that, I, I, and that was the part of the surreal thing of talking to you about this. But, but like, but that's an incredible thing that you've done is you've written these songs, and you're you know that some random dude in Alabama is playing your tunes at their show. And that was pre that was pre yeah. Spotify existing, yeah. which is super. Super uh, weird to yeah. think of, and like this n- new thing. Um, I know you're. Uh, you know, we don't have you for too much longer. Um, yeah, guys, I got to. Um, I'm running to pick my kid up from uh, the babysitter, so I got to run. But yeah, this yeah, conversation yeah. was a lot of fun, man. So thanks Dude. for having me on. Dude, man, Joe, thanks so much thanks for, for having us, or um, for us having you. You get making some yeah, time real for tired, us. Joe. Thanks, yeah. man. Uh, Fascinating. Big er, talking. Uh, quick plug for your thing. Uh, you have a podcast. Uh, also, that's uh, the, uh, the the working songwriter. songwriter. Yep. The and, working uh, songwriter. Yeah, yeah, we're we're very into the it. The last so. Friday of every month. Okay. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, nice yeah. to talk to you. Go on ahead, Joe. Take Thanks so much. Thanks, dude. Joe. Bye. Bye. That was Joe Pogue, ladies and gentlemen, flying off into the night to yeah. catch up all the morning. In fact, to pick up his mini pug, the it's mini Joe right. Pogue. 
That's right. Joe Pug Jr. The puppy. JP JPJR. JPJ. That's right. Uh, <laughs> man, y'all, that was that was pretty. That was surreal for me. Yeah, that was I, fun. I, that was a lot of fun having that dude. I, I'm not kidding. That was my very first show. I played a cover of one of his tunes. You know, that was close enough to ten years ago. You know, what eight years ago probably? Yeah, Something eight. Like yeah. Yeah, in front of you, and if you guys listening, you might be newcomers to our show who are maybe fans of Joe Pug who found your way here as a result of, um, you know, seeing that he was being interviewed by us. Thanks for coming on, and I hope you've learned something new about the man himself. I certainly have, because of course yeah. I wasn't even I wasn't very aware of his of his uh, his over a couple of songs before, and so I'm going to dig back in and listen to more yeah. of his stuff now. But thanks for coming, thanks and, for joining us on the Fire Escape to listen to Joe speak, and I hope you'll stick around for some future episodes and maybe yeah. listen back to some more. Yeah, and we cool. wanted to get into his. Uh, you know, we ran out of time, but we wanted to get into his podcast a little more too. Um, he's got he's got a great podcast. Yeah. Uh, he's interviewed a bunch of people, uh, Steve Earle, John uh, Josh White. Ritter, John Paul White, Gregory Allen Isaacoff. I think is the newest uh, episode. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, for real, awesome. make a point and go uh, go check it go, out. Yeah, go take a listen. He's he's really really great. He's kind of the complete opposite of our show. And yeah. it's, he's, he's just smart. He comes in knowing a whole lot of stuff, and, and the conversations are very crispy and neat. Um, he gets a lot of great information out of a lot of really great songwriters on their, basically on their process as songwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, super informative stuff. So if you have any interest in that, please go check out his podcast. And as we all know, Steve Earle is a big fan of the 90-minute form. Yes. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. Who knew that there was such crossover between... Um, you know, notable American songwriters of the 20th century and playwriting. Um, I yeah. had no idea. So That's it gives it. me hope for the future. In the 90-minute form. And the 90-minute form. <laughs> for those of us, those of you who are new to the show, you might have to cast back to the earlier episodes, first few, yeah. I think, to, to understand what, what it, that joke's what all thing, about. I can't remember it. Uh, the dig the for short some, story dig some buried is oral treasures. Yeah. How old John uh, was one of his plays was being performed. Was it here in the city? Yeah, no, it was yeah, it was in New yeah, York, off Broadway. Steve Earle came. Uh, Steve Earle came, and then he <laughs> came backstage Earl. to tell Howell what he thought about his play, and what he thought was, "I really enjoy the ninety-minute form." <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he said. There was a bit of a pause before he said it, like he was really weighing his words. You know, when you get that impression, you're like, "Wow, this wise man with a beard is about to say something of real import here." You know, I, mean, I really like, like the ninety-second uh, form. I really like the ninety-minute form. Or ninety-minute. There yeah, you go. Ninety-second 90 second may not be a thing. Well, yeah, maybe it's like a thing. A, that'd be a, that could be a thing. It'd be like a theatrical yeah. haiku. Ex- you know, very experimental. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I really like the ninety-minute form. Uh, I was like, me too, me too, <laughs> Steve. Thanks, thanks for thanks for offering that up. How's the? I think then it was. How, how? I think it was then I asked him. Did I tell you this guy? I think I did. I was like, what are you up to? And he was like, writing some songs. I was like, sure, yep. <laughs> sure, Steve. Yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah, I play guitar. Yeah, yeah, I play guitar. Oh, really? What oh, yeah. type of good? What sort? Yeah, that do you was play? it. I told you about that. He was like, "I play Martin." I was like, "Martin, great." What sort of Martin? Which one? And I was like, "Which one? How many do you have?" Two hundred. I was like, "Okay." Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. Well, real quick before we end up, how how you uh, how you feeling in uh, the ham? How's it treating you? Uh, it's fine. I'm feeling a bit stuck. Uh, a bit. I'm flapping around a little bit. Um, not quite sure why either. It's a weird thing. I'm genuinely struggling to put it into words. I'm sort of going over old materials, trying to wake it up. Is what it feels like the project. But um, if anybody it's knows feeling... how to wake up the whale's window, uh, yeah, yeah. I literally went and stood in front of the whale's window, and I was like, "Come on, man, wake me up here. Wake up the inspirations." <laughs> but um, 
but yeah, you know, I'm casting myself about, and uh, so I feel like I'm applying myself. So that's good, I think. But it just feels I'm, I'm, the fire is not alight. You know, it's because it's been a couple of years since I've really been engaged with it. But you know, and I've got a deadline to hand something in, and I, I, you know, it feels like it's. I know it's there distantly somewhere, but it's not present. So I feel like everything feels a bit academic at the moment, which isn't good. But I'm sure that will change. I'm applying myself, so I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what I need to do, and I don't quite know what I need to do at the moment. Yeah. Well, I'm doing a lot. Of, I'm doing a lot of book work. You know, I'm going through old papers and chucking over my research and making sure I'm in the right spot. You know, yeah. so that's all probably necessary and part of the process. So I'm not panicking too much. Well, to, to I, clarify yeah. for the listeners, you're 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 down there to finally put the the words to the page right you're writing the play about the whale's window is that right yeah yeah i am i mean the deadline is end of the summer so the idea was i'd come here now there's also i mean there is some some specific research stuff i still need to cover that i don't know about yet before i can actually write about certain things so yeah. that's kind of the game at hand and uh, but that that's partly what i'm feeling a little bit woolly about i don't quite know it's hard to put the words i mean it's useful to talk out loud but i hope i'm not sounding too vague but it no, feels no. a bit vague so bear with me but like it feels a bit when i was here three years ago i was i felt kind of filled with inspiration about it mm. and i felt like i had a lot of specific things i wanted to ask people yeah you know and i did a lot of that and that was super useful and i've got the the tape the tapes of the interviews and i've been listening to them but i just i feel very much now like i don't know what it is i should be asking or even that if i have anything i want to ask yeah you know well, but yes i know there's a huge amount more to come so I feel in a very strange sort of in-between zone, you yeah. know, that's how well, I feel. If, um, I mean, at risk of stepping too far into your personal business. If it's Man, seems, get into my business. Yeah, yeah, in. I'm going to do it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it seems, I mean, you were talking, you know, when you were up here in New York, you're kind of, I think your whole life right now, it feels a little, you know, Dude, you're, you're looking for it. You know what I mean? Whatever I am, it is, you're looking for yeah, it. Yeah, I am uh, at a risk of laying out all my metaphorical underwear in front of our listeners. I think many things are in flux. It's yeah, totally yeah. true. And, uh, and the curious thing about it, it feels, I guess how I think about it a lot was about two or three years ago when I first got into this, I really felt like the mission was at hand. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I felt very in tune with the original story, which was about a guy who felt called about to make something. And it was the first time in my life at a risk of sounding a bit wooey, pardon me, uh, if, for those who aren't into the woo. I'm not normally into the woo, but yeah. it sounds a bit wooey. But I did genuinely feel like something was gripping me that I didn't understand and there was a necessity there. And whatever way that was, I didn't really get it, but it was just happening, you know. So I was like, so this is what I had to do. And it, all sorts of things felt synchronistic and in line. And and I don't feel that right now. Things feel very stuck. But yet, I, but yet at the same time, I know it's there somewhere and it is important and that I have to see it through somehow. Yeah. So... And any um, and all sorts of things are in flux around that. You know, all sorts of things feel they're kind of shifting. And, but it's almost a bit like <laughs> I just said this yesterday to someone when they were asking me about it, and suddenly I was like, "That's a good way to describe it." I feel a bit like there's so many things pulling me in different directions that it's making me feel oddly calm. <laughs> you know, it's like a bit like you're sort of stretched out, not quite know, not quite knowing which way to turn. And as a result of that, I feel like I'm kind of in the still point in the middle. You know? Yeah, yeah. I kind of feel the same way. I had the exact same uh, feeling this morning of like, uh, you know, I think that if this had been last week or something like that, I would have been like, okay, uh, we got to, you know, we don't know what we're, you know, we're kind of still getting the interview going, you know, set up like up until the last minute because we're still you know learning all this stuff and when you skype somebody in you kind of just yeah. don't know how it's going to go and you're like oh you know we didn't get everything lined up but i've had so many things you know we're trying to we're realizing that our lease is coming up uh and that we're we need to bring the dogs up with us because of um it's just you know it's time and they're our responsibility and we got to handle that and so 
Yeah, you know, I yeah. didn't get to sleep until like four in the morning last night because I was like so like kind of stressed and nervous and just thinking about things. It wasn't even that bad. It's just I couldn't slow my mind down. I just kept thinking, not in a panicky way, but just in a yeah, your brain uh, you was know, just, just it was just moving. Engaged. And so this morning I was like, I'm not nervous at all for this. Like I have so much going on right now that someone could just be like, Hey, yeah, uh, you know mm-hmm. your apartment exploded. I'd be like, Oh yeah, that sounds about that sounds about right. Okay, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah yep. absolutely. All right. Yeah. yeah. Makes more makes as much sense as anything else does, so. Yeah, totally. That's, that phrase you just said there is exactly where I'm at. I yeah. just feel like, well, it all makes as much sense as anything else does. You know, and it's a peculiar, it's a strange time to be alive, as we all know at the moment. Mm-hmm. But um, I genuinely am. I was very homesick suddenly the first two days I got here, you know, which is curious now looking back on it. Cause homesick for New York, New York or homesick for... The UK. Well, just for all sorts of things. It, it was the Hirith, man, or whatever. You know, like, it was the Hirith. I felt deeply overwhelmed. I really did. It was, I mean, it was really weird. It was, I got, I'd arrived here on Monday, so Easter Monday, you know, and I, um, and of course, Easter's a family time for me, as it is for many people, but I, weirdly, leaving the city and traveling on Easter Sunday, I felt like I was heading in the right direction. I was working on the train, but I got here and landed, and I suddenly was very, 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 very Hirith. And I'm just like, it was intense. I was super tearful and I, you know, I missed my girlfriend. And then, but weird, I haven't been, I've been wanting to get out of New York for a long time. I've been finding New York absolutely unbearable, which is strange because I've always loved New York. So I don't know what's going on there either. But I suddenly felt far from New York, which is somewhere I know. Do you know what I mean? At least it's yeah. something I know, Familiar. <laughs> like, you know. And, uh, well. and also, I suddenly felt deeply far away from Wales and. In suddenly like staring in the face this funny, funny project which feels a million miles away so it was like that's a million miles away I'm a million miles away from everything that I care about this feels important what the fuck is going on you know so you just feel laid um, bare like you've yeah. you know there's nothing yeah I, I very identify with that feeling of like wanting something specific like a nostalgia for something specific but you don't know what it is Saudages. it's like the saudage yeah like the, yeah, the Portuguese saudade. yeah uh, thing it's so just like ah uh, it's yep. like you know there's just like uh i want I, I want to do something specific or like I, I need something specific but i don't know what it is and it's yeah, like it's deeply weird man it's i'm having a weird time listen listeners help me out here <laughs> like i just i feel yeah. like i'm doing what i feel like i know i should be doing but yet it all feels terribly wrong <laughs> Yep. Dude, uh, I think we and are here in the same I, boat. Yeah. And if I uh, and if I encounter, if I then I then I'm spending quite a lot of headspace. Not quite. I mean, basically, I, I'm, I'm basically what I get to is like, well, I just got to get on with the thing I'm supposed to get on with. I mean, you just got to. What, what else have I got to do? I'm yeah. being paid to do a job. Got to be practical, right? Well, so that's what I'm doing. And, but also, weirdly, I'm just like, what the way I'm doing it, or the things I, at this moment in my life feels like the ways I should be doing this thing just feel wrong, man. Yeah. This, that's probably what I mean about. Like, what should I be asking? You know, yeah. I just, I don't feel like I can even open my mouth at the moment because I don't feel like I have a question. Yeah. That's how it feels, which is peculiar. And and then I get to, what, a couple of times a day, you know, with my little little notebook, little cliched moleskin white dude notebook, you know, I, um, I'll write down a few little things just to try and free things up, you know, or ask, or basically ask myself, well, what should I do? You know, like, yeah. what, what is there anything? Just see what, you know, what the muse throws up or whatever, or, you know. The, the right side of my brain and uh, uh, nothing <laughs> yeah. well honestly like not to not to discount or water down your feelings by any means but like honestly do think 
the, you know, the further I've been, you know, I've, I've been in the same position over the last few months, different particulars, but the same feelings. Um, I honestly think that's what, I think everybody feels that way, but not everybody allows that feeling to like kind of take hold. I think a lot of people just kind of, you know, you just have your job at the bank or wherever, you know, whatever it is you're doing. And I think a lot of people just allow that feeling to kind of be, I don't know, mm. maybe I'm presuming too much, but I, I feel like a lot of people do kind of push that feeling away and like, well, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm doing this thing because this is what I'm doing. But like, yeah, I mean, I think all of us uh, here at the Fire Escape have been very plagued with this feeling of what am I supposed to be doing? Like, you know, there's this like capital T thing that I'm supposed to be doing. And I yeah, just can't totally. quite figure out how to worm my way into that thing. Um, yeah, no, I totally. I, I mean, I often have this funny phrase pops into my head, which is like the thing, you know, like, well, what is the thing? Like, yeah, because like, I find myself just going like, this is not the thing. This is not it. <laughs> this is oh, not yeah. the thing itself. And maybe everything you do is just always an endless journey towards the thing. You yeah. know, um, I literally don't know. I mean, I, well, I don't know quite know much more to say than that. But I, um, I find myself feeling very also the other thing for me is like you know i guess i'm for the first time in a while actually one thing that i'm really encountering is just uh not so much hey i'm feeling old because i'm only 37 but more a sense of like it's what they call the shoulds you know it's time of life stuff you know like oh i should be doing this or that and i haven't thought about the shoulds for a while because i always think like the shoulds would fuck off you know it's my friend bradford here <laughs> who's married to my good friend um <laughs> Glenny once said to me, Glenny Brock, um, big ups to Glenny Brock and Bradford, who's a wonderful husband, who's a teacher, a wise man, knows many things. We were talking about this once a couple of years ago about the shoulds, and he said to me, he kind of nodded, and he went, yeah, how old? He went, you know, I once said this to my therapist, you know, I was like, I should do this, I should do that, I should do this other thing. My therapist just went, Brad, you know what? You just got to stop shooting all over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I that Which is. I often think about. Which is one very useful, but also I feel like that sort of advice is cannot be useful at times because you need to be aware of what the shoulds are. You know, you can kind of switch off the shoulds. Oh, I'm going to ignore those shoulds, but if you feel them deeply and strongly, there's other stuff that you have to unpick, right? You know, and um, and maybe some of those shoulds are there for good reason. It doesn't necessarily equate that they're not. So yeah. I find myself in this like time feeling very aware of all the things like one should do, and I I think inherently I don't believe in shoulds, you know. Yeah. I, but I can't fi- I can't at the moment seem to find what the alternative is. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, to, <laughs> um, that's okay. To circle back on our on our guest, old Joe Pug, you know, I think that's some of the part of the reason why I'm I'm such a big fan of the guy. Um, you know, it, equally as much as a dude as musician is like, you know, he started being a playwright and then he starts being a musician. Now he's hosting a podcast and it seems like he, you know, maybe I'm presuming too much. And Joe, if you listen to this back, you know, you're welcome to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but I see a lot of, you know, the stuff that we're talking about in that guy, you know, of like, there are these things that he's, he feels passionate about doing. And maybe there's this one big question about what's the thing. And, you know, that, that dude's working through all of these things. And, and luckily for him and, and for the people who are fans of him, he's good at those things. I mean, he's a great podcast host. And he's a great songwriter. So he's making a really nice product. Um, oh, yeah. yeah he's I mean, got that's... a song. I just I saw it earlier on today. He has a song that on his last album, which is called If It Still Can't Be Found. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a great track. He knows um, what the thing is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Anyways, with all that... Um, I'll tell I you what know. our listeners, I'll tell you what, 
our listeners should do, though. They should listen to the to, to the Firescape podcast. That's right. I think all people. That's the biggest should. Yeah, if you're gonna, that's the thing. If you're gonna shoot on yourself, yeah. make sure it's Firescape flavored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Uh, make sure you eat a healthy, fibrous diet of the Fire Escape. That's right. If you're gonna shoot on yourself. See, Bob, you want to read us down or what? I'll read yeah, us down. Yeah, read us down, see, Bob. Guys, thank you so much for listening this week. Uh, big thanks to Joe Pug for coming on and making time for us uh, this this uh, this morning. Um, if you would like to reach out to us and have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever you have, uh, you can get us at firescapepod at gmail.com. Um, check out our episodes and uh, links to pertinent information, uh, anything that we talk about that you want to find out more about. You can usually find that on firescapepod.com under the post section, and then you just go to the episode. Uh, there's also other stuff in there like uh, Howell's article on mm. um, Welshness and uh, about uh, the Welsh Fest and Rock Mart. Uh, and I think we're kind of all still dealing with some of that stuff, you know, the, uh, uh, where should, where ought we be? Uh, you know, you, you can't should, you shouldn't should all over yourself, but you can ought, no. you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, you can ought. Um, and I think we're going to start, uh, putting more, we're going to start writing more and, uh, at least, uh, oh, yeah. Pete and I have chatted about that, about, uh, you know, writing more and, and maybe putting some of that stuff up on there. So please check out the website. There's a bunch of great photos on there from our very talented friend, uh, Sam Hernandez. We're going to put some stuff up there from our buddies, uh, Marcus and Henry and, uh, just kind of, um, expand the brand, yeah, expand the brand, man, expand mm. the brand. Yeah. Um, fire escape nation is going to be just escaping all over the place. You can find me, Coulter Longshore, at Coulter Levi on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me, Peter Korn, on the Instagrams as, uh, under at Buttermilk underscore Pete. You can also find the Firescape on Twitter and Instagram oh, yeah. at Firescape Pod uh, and Facebook. Yep, forgot about those. And things. you know, why not? Why not follow me at the Wales window? Why not? Yeah. I mean, maybe I should endeavour to actually look at it. You ought. I probably should. Yeah, I ought. Yeah. I, I it'd ought. be a good way to to quickly, you know, to a little briefly chronicle some of your things uh, that are going on in in Birmingham That's while you're right. there. You could throw up, you know, a Tim Cook photo or two. Yep. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. What have well, you? Really. As uh, before, we end. We we'll give one last final plug and big thank you to Joe Pug. Um, for real, y'all, do yourselves a favor. Um, you know, we're, uh, like I said, I, I've been a big fan of this guy for a very long time. Go check out his records. Uh, I think he's saying this is his fourth coming. Yeah, his fourth uh, is coming so up. So keep an eye out for the new record. Um, and then do yourself another favor. If you have any interest in um, creative process and songwriters, um, go check out The Working Songwriter, which is the podcast that he hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think comes out, what do you say, the first no last friday of every month i think is what he said yes last friday um, of every month and um yeah again man y'all think we're so excited to have joe um it was a big deal for us so um yeah thank you guys for listening and uh, go check his workout and tune in next week for uh some more you know talk about how our lives are falling apart man yes <laughs> yes <laughs> and some good, chat. <laughs> some good chat all right thanks y'all thanks roll Right.
wrong with the beer we got? I mean, the beer we got drank pretty good, don't it? The days are getting shorter, and you can feel it in the air. Yes, it's that time of year. Pumpkin is finally back at Dunkin'. It's the cozy you've been craving all summer long, now in your cup at Dunkin'. Pick up all of your pumpkin favorites, like the signature pumpkin spice iced latte, or a pumpkin iced coffee, and bakery items like pumpkin donuts and muffins. Sip into something comfortable to celebrate the start of cozy season. Use the Dunkin' app for contactless ordering. America runs on Dunkin'. Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit and full plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com.